Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Midwest Hemp Council Audio Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Dozier. So happy to have you with us. And in this podcast, we're going to talk with Julie Lerner, the CEO and founder of Pan Exchange Incorporated out of Denver, Colorado. Pan Exchange can be found on the internet. It's spelled P A N X C H A N G E, Pan Exchange. You can find more information about the company and Julie by going to the website. So let's get to it. Let's get to the conversation. Julie, how are you doing today? Doing terrific. How are you, Jason? Doing fantastic. Really appreciate you taking the time to join us on the program. And uh, we, we want to talk about the Pan Exchange. We want to talk about, of course, hemp. But let's, let's start with uh, Pan Exchange. Tell us what that is about, what you do, why you founded that, and, and, and just, just so we can get some background information on you, Julie, and find out where you're coming from. Sure, absolutely. So uh, Pan Exchange is a market structure solution for physical agricultural commodities. So that includes fundamental analysis and benchmark pricing, online and offline brokerage, uh, and more and more consulting business, often for um, funding opportunities for our client base, um, things like market landscape studies and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, we're the leading benchmark price provider in hemp, and we just launched our carbon program. Would love to get into that a little bit more later, but we launched it because I felt the uh, average independent farmer in, in the United States was getting squeezed out of the program. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, so, but but to your original question, I started this company over a decade ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a background in physical ags, uh, predominantly with Cargill. Um, I was their lead sugar trader in Latin America. I started with them in Switzerland. Um, and I just thought that the inefficiencies of how these natural resources that feed and fuel the world are so inefficiently traded mm-hmm. and opaque and fragmented, and there had to be a better way. So we launched the online platform. And then uh, that quickly evolved into full-on market structure because the, the, there were so many inefficiencies, we had to add a lot of things. Like in some markets we went into, we had to add trading rules because there were none um, mm-hmm. and, and things like that. And it's been, a, it's been an exciting ride. Um, hemp has absolutely uh, been the most unusual and interesting one. <laughs> now, now, so, so uh, when, did you fa- when, when did you start the company? Oh, back in 2011. Okay, 2011. Um, yeah, so we actually were hired. Our first business was um, to pilot launch this in Kenya for uh, corn and wheat. Um, we we had a contract with USAID, and that expanded very quickly. We ended up expanding to Uganda and northern Tanzania, and we have uh, Jason. We've <laughs> things on there. These pulses that I've never even heard of. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> now, when, when, now, were you able, Julie? Were you able to personally travel to all these countries, or was this uh, typically done over the phone and over the internet? Uh, yes, I mean hemp is also unusual for us in that it is domestic, which has a lot of, of, of benefits to it. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I was in country in Uganda, well, all three countries uh, several times. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, um, we also have done all kinds of international consulting work I, that took me to places like Oman, which I confess I had to look up. And, um, <laughs> uh, we did a deep dive, uh, study for the Singapore exchange on the natural rubber market as well. 
Um, so I've been I've been pretty lucky that my my business takes me to some very interesting places. And then completely off topic, and we don't want to dwell on it, but something that mm-hmm. always kind of interests me when I hear people go to places, unique places like you know Uganda and Omar, um, you know those places they can have a civil war break out tomorrow. Did you mm-hmm. ever run into anything like that where it's like we need to get out of town? Where is the closest airport? Have you just just out of curiosity ever run into anything like that? Um, thankfully, no. I mean, I, you know, you do have a heads up and, you know, you do stop and question, is it worth it, um, to travel? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, no, the only thing that was ever, well, I probably shouldn't say this publicly, but, um, the only time it ever got scary for me was when, uh, my colleague at, down in Ecuador, and this is early in my career, um, my colleague's best friend just became the chief of police and, uh, and uh, sort of started stalking me. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. So no matter where you are in the world, there's always going to be a creepy stalker. That was the only time I was <laughs> fearful of, am I going to get out of this country safely? <laughs> Civil war, drought, famine, hurricanes. Nope. Got a stalker halfway Stalkers, across the world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. I'm glad you yeah. did tell that story, Julie. So, yeah. okay. So let's get back on track. Now, now again, you founded the company back in 2011 or so. Mm-hmm. Why, how did you transition into hemp? When was your first exposure to hemp and why hemp? You know, I credit my team for us getting to first to market. Literally January of 2019, we were the first with an industry report um, on, on the fundamentals. This is what we know. We had benchmark prices in that very first month. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the, and the reason is, is that we have uh, developed a sweet spot of, you know, where we can solve problems. Mm-hmm. And it's always in e- either generally thin markets or new markets. Um, and uh, my team was saying, hey, this, you know, hemp is about to get approved. And it checked all the boxes for us with regard to it's fragmented and it's opaque. Um, and and that's really our sweet spot where mm-hmm. we bring that transparency and efficiency of literally standing up a new market um, by way of our reporting and our trading platform, bringing Mm -hmm. buyers and sellers together. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So, so, Mm -hmm. okay. And, and so the, um, uh, now we want to get back to the agricultural carbon credit. You mentioned early on, this is something Mm -hmm. you wanted to revisit. I know this is very important. So let's tackle that. What's, what's important about that? And, and, and how did you guys get involved in that and where are you taking it? Yeah, thank you. So I think the most important thing, the takeaway is that uh, it's not the reason why specifically that we got into it, but it's certainly becoming obvious that carbon credits could absolutely be what saves this hemp industry because it is such a carbon friendly crop. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, going back to how we got into hemp, um, as you know, the market you know, constricted by 85, 90%. And uh, so we're, we're, you know, that's not going to recover overnight. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're looking at, you know, the next market for us, um, not to replace hemp, but in addition to hemp, you know, mm-hmm. what's next for us, what's next. Um, and it, how we got into it is quite interesting. So first we thought, oh, I'm just going to use the trading platform 
and we're going to build liquidity for cropland and grassland credits because mm-hmm. um, we already have the tech built and we already have the network and and uh, let's do it. And then I talked to all of my colleagues in the greater ag market at the trade houses and whatnot, and everybody loved the idea. And then two weeks later, we came back with uh, you know our tails between our legs because we realized there's just no inventory of credits. Mm. Um, so then the next step is why? <laughs> well, what, is, what does that mean uh, for, for a layman out there? No inventory of credits. It means there are no car, there are not a substantial amount of carbon credits available specifically for that come off of croplands and, and rangelands. Okay. Um, they're not being generated fast enough to meet demand. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and who, so we who look generates into, those, the government? Well, that is a that's a great question. I mean, right, we are <laughs> now is to, to cut to the punch. Mm-hmm. Um, there are several different entities, and what we found at the time is there's there's we and by the way, we have a, a free report that discusses the several different ways to go about getting a carbon credit and, and it, kind of like a shopping checklist ah, where, for where, a grower. Where, where would they find that? That is is right on our website. It's called uh, Checklist for Farmers and Ranchers. Okay, and I should have asked you about that website early on. Where can folks find you guys and, for instance, this information? Yes, so it's everything is through panexchange.com, P-A-N-X-C-H-A-N-G-E.com, um, and that is a free report. Um that dives into there's different structures to how you get a carbon credit Mm -hmm. from ranging from one far end of the extreme is um, some of these uh, bigger full service ag companies that kind of treat the farmer like a like a contract farmer um, will give the farmer an allowance Mm -hmm. for doing something good like don't till your soil which turns up the carbon and put a cover. So if you don't, so they give you an allowance. So they'll say, well, if you don't till every year that you don't till, we'll give you say, you know, 25 cents an acre or something. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. if you do cover crops, we'll give you 50 cents an acre Mm -hmm. and and so forth. And so the beauty is there's no risk to the farmer. Right. Um, And that's a good deal for the farmer. uh, As a farmer friend who he independently runs 2000 acres on his own, he says, Julie, I don't get rich from it. It's like pocket change. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yet there's no risk to him nor investment either. He could stop at any time. I see. Okay. Um, and um, so that's one end of the extreme. And then um, at the other far end of the extreme, you've got what I would call like the purest method of getting credits. And that's through these international nonprofits like Vera or uh, Gold Standard Climate Action Reserve. Um, and the problem there is for someone to go get their own credit, um, well, it is definitely scientifically sound, to be clear, but but it's a little bit, uh, it's just not practical for the average farmer. It's, it's over two years uh, to get through that process to confirm the carbon sequestered. It's over $200,000. Wow. Um, and obviously you, you no, have to have people, yeah. that, you have to have professionals to, to file those sorts of papers, I would assume. Yes, and you need third-party validators. So if you are if you only have 1,200 acres, and especially if you're just corn and soy, um, it's probably not viable for you. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really only viable for the massive, you know, commercial farmers mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, to do those programs. Mm. 
So then, and then you have those of us in the middle um, that think that we have developed a better mousetrap. Um, now, of course, we're in it for the long haul. So, you know, I said, and when we started this program, I said that our number one goal is to make sure that no reporter ever comes to us and, and accuses us of greenwashing. This has to, we are in it for the long haul. Um, this has to be scientifically sound. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and, and we're going to do it right, you know, not, not go, go for the quick buck here. So, um, so the, so the article describes the, uh, a handful of us and how we go about it differently. You have to read the fine print. For example, there's, there's one company that, that will give the farmer crypto instead of cash. Uh, okay. I don't, I don't know how many people want that. If you read the Indigo contract, uh, the price guarantee is only for the first year. And when you read the contract, you find that the farmer does not own that credit. Mm. Um, okay. and, and so what we're trying to do is provide a low cost option to get the credits. And it, as far as we know, we're the only entity that, that is giving the, the growers um, full ownership and agency over how they sell and to whom they sell and what price mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, is this something that will only work if you, by volume, do you have to have a certain number of, uh, of farmers or crops, or is it by acreage? How how do you guys determine where you need to be to make it efficient for everybody involved, including you? Well, we do uh, an assessment with farmers, but especially, I mean, a hemp farm, again, if you're growing grain and fiber because it's a tight row crop, um, I think as low as 300, 300 acres would, mm-hmm. would be viable. Again, so two, two big risks on, on this program. One, we don't know, you know, we cannot guarantee all the credits that you earn. And two, we cannot guarantee that the market's going to be at these prices or higher. Mm-hmm. Um, but with that in mind, we, we do think that a, a farm as small as 300 acres can do it on their own. What's also interesting is the land, and I get to use this fun word, the land can be non-contiguous. Okay. And what does that mean? <laughs> mean you can aggregate a program with your growers in Illinois and your growers in Montana. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, as long as you guys are, and, and our program is about not the crop itself, but about the, the practices. Okay. Because hemp... Hemp is a rotational crop, so and this is permanent. Once you say, for example, I'm getting carbon credits because I'm not tilling, then you have to you're you're basically promising you're not tilling ever again. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but which is a very different commitment than saying I will only grow hemp on this land for the next hundred years. Okay, sure, sure. <laughs> that's that's a bigger commitment, right? Right, you right, <laughs> absolutely. And so, and so, where do you guys? How do you guys fit into this, or um, maybe not fit into it? But how do you lead this charge? So uh, we fully vertically integrated. You know, getting back to that market structure solution. So I do. We will be opening our trading platform that we use for hemp um, for carbon credits. As soon as, as I said, that pipeline of inventory, as soon as we start getting credits, which we think will happen in 2023. Okay. But right now, um, the priority is helping landowners get into this program. Mm-hmm. Just get started. It is it is messy. It is evolving quickly, but it is a place to start. And it's putting 
money in the hands of the farmer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if they're listening right now and they're like, mm-hmm. I, this is something that does interest me, what do they need to do? Uh, I would say sign up for our class next Wednesday, in fact. And is this a virtual uh, class? How is this? It's working? a virtual class. It's 11 a.m. Mountain. So that the the checklist article that's free I told you about, mm-hmm. it's a supplement to this class. Okay. Um, and um, where so we'll give you uh, a good half hour of here's how a carbon program works. Um, here are the different ways, much like we just discussed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then a, a full Q&A session afterwards to get your specific questions answered. And we do offer a discount to um, Mid- Midwest Hemp members. Oh, okay. Okay. So everything is on, on the website. So if they're listening mm-hmm. right now, they go to the website and they're going to, to find all this information uh, and, and how to proceed. Yes. Okay. And again, that, that yes. is panexchange.com or .org? Dot com. Dot com. Pan Exchange. And that is P-A-N-X-C-H-A-N-G-E? Yes, sir. Okay, there we go. Panexchange.com. Look that up. Of course, we'll have a link to that on the the website for Midwest Hemp Council members as well, as I assume it'll be on the Facebook page as well, so they can get a hold of you there. Um, And and so just kind of in general, again, you know, what you're trying to do here is bring folks under an umbrella. So talk about that collaboration and, and, and what you want to see, let's say, short-term and long-term, the next six months versus the next two to three years. Well, I think uh, in so the next two to five years in hemp, um, it's going to be tough. I mean, first of all, I think that any entity that started in 2019 that is still standing deserves a medal. It has <laughs> not been easy. Right. Um, you know, it, it has not been easy. It, this industry, I've never seen so many amateurs and crooks <laughs> come oh, in. And, yeah, exactly. The, fly, the folks that were involved two to three years ago, and they're nowhere yeah. to be found now. And they and then there's folks that are still involved that have lost a lot of money, but they're, they're hanging in there and they're, they're moving forward. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we because we've looked at so many different markets, um, we... I've spoken uh, frequently on um, the seven stages of market maturation in, in any market, like from nickel to to, uh, to to hemp and even the 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 fraxan industry, mm-hmm. um, and and there's peaks and troughs in every single one of them for very good reason. Uh, as a commodity geek, of course, it fascinates me, but it's probably a really boring paper for anyone else. But um, <laughs> but so we know. Um, you know, we we can we see things here that many people don't because they're so you know knee deep into the daily sure. business, and and we take this holistic approach. So you know, we we knew um, in in 2020, guys, ridiculous inventory build, demand is so much lower, mm-hmm. and and there were companies like Brightfield saying this was going to be a 23 cannabinoids were going to be 23 billion dollars. I'm like, we're at mm-hmm. four. We're at four. Come on. Right. You know, and that is I don't even think we're hitting that one. Um, And um, a little bit of hemp goes a very long, long way in cannabinoids. And and people need to understand that. Um, I want to be clear that I'm not anti cannabinoid, um, but I, I think the market is finally hearing us and realizing it is an ingredient. It is a specialty crop. It's amazing. It's wonderful. 
but it's like a vitamin supplement, right? Mm-hmm. And and particularly with regard to hemp versus any other kind of supplement is, you know, a few drops in a vial is all you need. Right. Um, and so from a commodity perspective, that's that's like one guy's, like I told you my friend does, uh, you know, corn and soybean down in Kansas for 2,000 acres all by himself. That's one guy, you know, and the whole industry is about that big right now. Um, <laughs> two, two. Um, I think... Um, I think I'm going to say some things that are going to be a little controversial, but I've been saying them for a few, a few months now. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to separate advocacy of cannabinoids from grain and fiber. Um, and b- because of those reasons, mm-hmm. I mean, first of all, it looks like it's a short, fat, bushy plant that's, that's spaced out, you know, uh, widely in, uh, on the land versus these tight row crops that are, that look more like bamboo. Um, and it's very different farming. It's very different industries, very different usage, you know, cannabinoids are for a consumer product, but, but grain and fiber, well, of course, grain is, you know, could be for human is for human food, but um, we're looking forward to approval for animal feed um, and all of these other industrial uses. That's a commodity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, and, and, um, it's, and it's that, unfortunate yeah. that a lot of people didn't, or a lot of farmers, specifically the growers, didn't really know that difference early on. And some of those folks that completely got out of it, uh, who may have done well or may do well in the future, that probably won't have that opportunity because the misinformation that was out there and just the, the chaos in the first couple of years, and unfortunately probably sent a few people packing. Well, there's chaos, but there's also stigma. Another reason to separate these, these, but to bifurcate the industry this way. Uh, you know, we came out with a, we did a deep dive in, in hemp feed last October um, and, and talked about a price comparison to the incumbents like corn and soy, mm-hmm. and as well as a, a nutritional comparison. And of course, hemp fared very well in, in that. Um, and, and I, just as an example, you know, I, I was, uh, meeting with some, some trade house colleagues of mine and I said, Hey guys, you know, you, I think you'd be interested in this hemp feed paper we did. Oh, don't talk to me about hemp. You know, so either they got burned with an investment right. or their neighbor, you know, got, got taken for a ride. And, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, but you have to think that that stigma is also still true in many parts of Washington. Mm-hmm. Sure. Oh, people still um, link it to marijuana without, I mean, just as, as the same thing. Yeah, I have to confess, I was just, I know how, how many hemp entities applied for that Climate Smart Ad grant. And we, we didn't get much mm-hmm. out of that announcement today. Um, there was, there was a, you know, very little proportional to what this industry needs yeah. um, for that. So that was very disappointing. And I think that, you know, that is one of the biggest things that we can do in this industry is is separate that. It, um, it makes sense and it helps us get rid of the stigma. It helps focus the narrative. I mean, it's really hard to talk to politicians when you've got to discuss cannabinoids and fiber usage, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that that is one of the biggest things we can do um, in the, to help grow this industry. And the second big thing, um, on a national level, proportional to the size of this crop, and let's get real, okay? <laughs> Which do you think is 
bigger, hemp, spinach, wild rice, or broccoli? I would say broccoli. I don't know why. I hate broccoli, but I would just say broccoli. Um, the hemp crop this year will be about the size of broccoli and the wild rice crops. Wow. But they're not, but, but, but that's got to be different in the consumption and the sales of it. Well, so there's, I mean, and that's the challenge that we're facing. Thankfully on the cannabinoid side of the business, there's a nice margin mm -hmm. at, at some point on the supply chain. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, and that's the chasm that, that we're in right now in, in grain and fiber, by the way, spinach is more than twice as large as hemp. Um, mm -hmm. so the chasm that we're in right now is, you know, you've got your industrial users saying, and like, like a paper company and saying, I'm not going to research this even ah. until you prove to me, you've got the acreage that I need for mass production. Right, right. And the other side is you've got the farmer saying, I'm not planting this <laughs> until you show me you've got a buyer. The classic catch um, 22. Yes, it is. It is. And that's something that, that, that we need to work through. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that I'd love to see more of, I think on a national level, now that you know the size of the crop, we have a, far too many industry associations nationally, and they're they're preaching to the choir. We and what I mean is we you know we need to stop having conferences to hug each other, and we need to get out there and go to the National Grain and Feed Association, mm -hmm. the building not hemp building building associations, U.S. builders associations, you know feed, feed associations. Um, textile associations get out to them and educate them on hemp and start expanding the the tent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. There you go. I mean, I think those are the two biggest things that we could do to help grow this industry. Once again, Julie Lerner. Julie is the CEO and founder of Pan Exchange Incorporated. You can find her and all that information at panexchange.com, and that is spelled P-A-N-X. C-H-A-N-G-E, panexchange.com. Julie, before we let you go, anything else that we need to hit on here today? Uh, no, I, I think I've been controversial enough. Um. <laughs> You've done a fantastic <laughs> job. You gave us some great information, a couple laughs, and some stuff that are some information I, I had not heard before. And it, it because it, that that's why I love doing this podcast, because one week we'll have a farmer on, the next week we'll have somebody from retail on, the next podcast, someone like you that uh, is not out in the fields, but you're certainly leading the way for the, for the folks that are. So it's very interesting. But but yeah, you've you've brought up some great points here and and certainly educated us a little bit today. Well, I hope everyone enjoys it. Absolutely. All right, Julie, thank you so much. I I hope we uh, we get a chance to talk to you again in the future and just keep doing what you're doing out there. It's certainly benefiting all of us. Thanks so much, Jason. It's been a pleasure. All right. Thanks so much, Julie. And that is going to do it for this edition of the Midwest Hemp Council audio podcast. I'm your host, Jason Dozier. Thanks so much to Julie Lerner, the CEO and founder of Pan Exchange. And you, again, you can find them on the internet, as we said, panexchange.com. That's P-A-N-X-C-H-A-N-G-E.com, panexchange.com. All right, guys, that's going to do it for this podcast. We certainly do appreciate you tuning in and checking it out. Hopefully you'll share it with others and tune in again next time. Until then, We'll see you so long, everybody.